Thank you, Heather. Luke's gospel may have been written by a Gentile author to a mostly Gentile readership, but even so, it is a very Jewish story of a very Jewish Savior. Now, we know what has happened so far in Luke's gospel. A child is born in a manger to a Jewish peasant woman, Miriam, who we call Mary, and her betrothed, Yehosef, whom we call Joseph, a Jewish man skilled in carving stone and wood. Eight days later, as per Jewish custom, the child is circumcised and named Yeshua bar Yehosef, Jesus, son of Joseph. And then when he's about 30, he goes along with many other Jewish worshipers to the Jordan River to be baptized by his cousin, John. And John has been preaching about repentance for the people of Israel, that the reign of God is coming. In today's reading, Jesus returns to Nazareth his hometown. And Luke shows that Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, begins his ministry in the bosom of small-town Judaism, affirming his faithfulness to Shabbat, the Sabbath, Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures, and Moed, the synagogue. And the faithful Jewish neighbors who watched Yeshua grow up had heard about his preaching and his newfound fame, and they all come out to the small-town synagogue to welcome the hometown boy back home and to hear what he had to say. Now, this reading happens in Epiphany, which means unveiling because this isn't just a story about a hometown Jewish boy coming back to preach at his home church. There's a revealing, an unveiling of something deeper and more profound that the chosen one has come. So in first century Palestine, a synagogue would have been the center of the town, much like a meeting house is the center of a New England town. And it was the custom in that day for folks to stand to read the Torah and then to sit to preach. I guess we're we're doing that. I guess we're doing it. We're very traditional that way. Heather stood here. And so in Luke's gospel, the scroll, of the, uh, the scroll of Isaiah is handed to Jesus, and he looks through it to the section that we now call ch- chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, and he begins to read, and these are the words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll and handed it back to the attendant and sat down 
and no one said a word. I think there was an air of anticipation in the synagogue. All eyes were on him, and he said to them, Today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let's take a closer look at that last line. The year of the Lord's favor. I mean, what's not to like about something being what God favors, right? But Jesus is talking about something very specific here. Something called the Jubilee year. It can best be described as kind of a a Sabbath's Sabbath year. As most of you know, in Jewish practice, every seventh day, Saturday, is Shabbat, the Sabbath. It is the day that God rested after creating the heavens and the earth. And in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, humans also are called to rest on that day as well, from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. So that's our Sabbath day. Now, every seventh year is called a Sabbath year, and certain things happen. For instance, farmland is allowed a much-needed rest, what we would now call being fallow, uh, to regain nutrients and energy it needs that have been uh, stripped away so it can start its bounty again. In the Sabbath year, all Hebrew slaves were to be released from servitude to their Hebrew masters. There was a return to freedom, a new start for land and people. Now, in addition to that, every seven times seven years, or every 49 years, was the year of the Lord's favor, the Jubilee year, the Sabbath of Sabbath years. And this was a whole nother thing. Because in the Jubilee year, anyone who had a debt, a debt of any kind, was to be released from that debt. All slaves, not just Hebrew slaves, but foreign slaves as well, were to be released. And any land that had been taken from small farmers by large farmers to pay debts, to pay taxes, whatever, whether it had been taken away unscrupulously or taken away legally, was to be returned to those small farmers. Anyone that had sold themselves or their children into slavery to pay their debts was to be freed. It was an enormous resetting. It was like a control-alt-delete on Hebrew culture. So everybody got a fresh start. That's what the year of the Lord's favor was. That was good news to the poor indeed. Now, marking each of these regulations is a deep concern for social justice, not as charity, but as liberation, as freedom. Undergirding the Jubilee is a language that claims God as sovereign over all the people and over all of creation, so that no one can say, I own this land, or I own this person. 
Because God is the creator of all of it and is sovereign over all of it. The Jubilee year was a big reminder of that because during the Jubilee year, all of it was given back. Everyone got to start anew, fresh, free. It was a big deal. It was a big (laughs) big deal. Uh, The year of the Lord's favor that Jesus proclaimed was the big deal. The year of the Lord's favor became the distillation that was everything Jesus' ministry was about. In, in Hebrew, the year of the Lord's favor is just three words. It's a three-word shorthand for everything that Jesus did. Not, not only fulfilling Isaiah's vision of, of the good news preached, the blind seeing, the imprisoned and the oppressed going free, but also all of what he did. The praying, the healing, the teaching, the feeding, the challenging, the calming, the confronting, the loving, the sacrificing, the dying. These verses from Isaiah are the foundation of Jesus' ministry. And the year of the Lord's favor is the three-word distillation of all of it. And so I imagine Jesus, at the end of a long day, or maybe at the beginning of a long day, I don't know, thinking to himself, year of the Lord's favor, year of the Lord's favor, okay, I can do this. That would have been at the beginning of the day, or at the end of the day, saying, that was a hard day, but I'm preaching the year of the Lord's favor. Obviously, there's going to be pushback. It's all okay. Maybe I'm projecting, but I like Jesus to be human, right? I imagine as he walked along the roads with his followers, those, that phrase would have run through his head. It would have been like, like feeling a smooth stone in your pocket, a reminder, the year of the Lord's favor. Those words described everything he was about, and they also showed him what to do going forward, which is what a vision does. It, show, it tells us who we are. It grounds us in the midst of everything that pulls at us, in the midst of everything that calls for our attention. And it also heads us in the right direction. It shows us how to make decisions about where to go from here. It shows the way ahead. Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church has a vision statement. When you go to the homepage, it's right there on the website, and it goes like this. I'm sure you all have it memorized. Yes? (laughs) We don't have it memorized yet. We are a welcoming and inclusive church, inviting people to explore the journey of faith. Our focus is on joyful worship, building community, encouraging faith exploration, passionate social justice, and committed outreach. It is an excellent mission statement. And what's really interesting is over the last couple days, Mitch and I have been uh, engaged in email conversations with a number of folks here saying, hey, where did this come from? And everyone recognizes it but nobody seems to remember where it came from. 
right? Which is fine, I, I think. It's, it's so much part of what this church is about, even in just the seven months that we've been here. And what I love about it is that it pulls us forward as a community. If you think back to Jesus' vision statement, which was that long piece from Isaiah, but the distillation of it was the year of the Lord's favor was this three-word concentration of all the ministry that Jesus did. So as Barb and I have been looking at Harvard Epworth's vision and mission statements, and more importantly, the lived-out way that Harvard Epworth does ministry and lives out its faith, we also had three words that kept popping into our brains as we were looking at what we did here. And those three words are begin, belong, and become. And I feel like they're represented just in that vision statement. We're a welcome and inclusive church. That's where this church begins. That's where everything starts. Inviting people, inviting people to belong, to explore the journey of faith, inviting them to become what it is that God's created them, created all of us to be. And when we reflect on our experience of the last seven months, we see these three words through all of it. Begin. We see your willingness to step into the adventure of having new pastors in the midst of a pandemic, for goodness sake. And you did so and continue to do so with anticipation and enthusiasm. And belong, belong is easy. This place has an amazing and rich and deep welcome for folks who come to visit. You invite people right into the life of the congregation. We see this happen Sunday after Sunday. And become. You work together to feed the hungry and minister to those experiencing homelessness. And throughout the many convoluted twists and turns of this pandemic, you've been committed to finding ways to care for all the needs, physical and spiritual, of the folks among us. Which is why we're continuing to do hybrid worship. We're continuing to wear masks. We're continuing to do all of those things. This congregation is a living and breathing expression of what it is to become God's people in the world. You're a place of learning and study and prayer. You're an example of of offering excellence in all that you do and also offering it in a way that's human, that recognizes that we all are who we are and celebrating with delight every person in this congregation. This is a place that's joyful and faithful and real about becoming the people of God. Begin, belong, become. It's a three-word distillation of all the ministry we do here and will do in the future. As we've been thinking about this, begin, belong, become has become sort of like a smooth stone that we hold in our pockets. For one thing, it's easy to remember. And for another, it symbolizes for us 
who this congregation is now and also what it is that draws us ahead. It's a reminder of what it is to be Jubilee people, to be the people who live into the year of the Lord's favor. So we're putting this out here for you all this morning to see if it resonates uh, here at Harvard Epworth. Does begin, belong, become, feel like an entryway into what this place, this people is all about, into what you and Barb and I, all of us are about as we seek to be God's expression of love in this time, in this place. Because if if it does resonate, and it's totally cool if it doesn't, but if it does resonate, we'd like to start using those three words as we communicate and plan ministry, as we share who we are and what we're about with the larger community. Not in a replacement kind of way. The the, The statement that's on the website is great, and we'll keep using that. But this is kind of a shorthand to remind us, I think. So we'd like you to ponder it and pray about it. And as someone who does conflict resolution in the other part of my professional life, I'm not usually in the habit of inviting people to have parking lot conversations. We don't even have a parking lot. We don't even have a parking lot. But if you want to have conversations with each other about this, please do. Only don't have the conversations start there. Make sure that they come to us as well. We generally want to know what you think about this. And because we want to know if we have a sense that these three words are kind of a portal into what this church is, or whether it's not. And so we need your feedback on that. So email us, text us, call us, chat with us after worship or around the edges of other meetings in the coming weeks. We're praying that the Spirit will, will speak through all of us together as we, as we think about this and ponder on it. Begin, belong, become. Does that reflect who we are and who we're called to be? So put on your thinking caps. Amen. Our next hymn is number 451, Be Thou My Vision. <laughs>